Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 323, How Earned Trust Leads to Your Best Work with architect Wade Weissman. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, Easy Online Payroll, Benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. And RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more, all for free at RCAT.com. Wade Weissman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I have a little cough, so I might get a little you know, cough here and there. I'll be trying to edit them out during the show, but I think I'll be okay. And I checked for anybody who's listening. I'm okay. I'm healthy. I had myself checked out. I'm good. It's just a cold. Um, Cause everybody's worried about me. I'm not, I'm okay. Um, but I'm, I'm very well. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're well as well. So let me do a quick intro and let people know who you are. And then, uh, and we'll, then we'll talk. Um, as the founder and principal of Wade Weissman architecture, Wade has spent the last 20 years designing classically inspired estates, of many genres around the world. Wade Weissman Architecture has offices in Wade's hometown of Milwaukee, as well as offices on the east and west coasts to best serve projects nationwide. 
Uh, Wade is an active member of both the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art and Design Leadership Network. He's a passionate supporter of the arts and the human rights campaign and a recent recipient of the prestigious Schutz Award. Is that pronounced properly, Wade? Schutz? Yeah. Yeah. Schutz. Schutz Award. Um, yeah. I, and we can talk about that a little bit, what that is. I, I recently, uh, he, he recently um, released his first book, Heirloom Houses, featuring 15 of his beautifully crafted homes. Uh, Wade's custom residential sector is growing, and they are expanding into master planning for hotels, new communities, and wineries. I'd love to talk about that, too. Um, on all projects, Wade believes wholeheartedly that collaborative approach to design is the best way to yield great results. And so, Wade, that's a little bit of an intro on you and your firm. I would love to learn more about you. I'd love to learn more about what inspired you to become an architect. What, um, what, uh, how did you discover your passion for architecture? So go back as far as you want to go back and share your origin story. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Um, uh, and thank you for your kind words. Um, uh, I started, I'm a, I'm a Midwest kid, so I grew up in Wisconsin, and um, my hometown is Milwaukee. <clears throat> my uh, grandfather uh, and grandmother lived across the street from us, and so um, as a young kid in the late 60s, uh, my grandparents lived very close. In fact, there were relatives kind of on all the streets around me. Um, so it was very much that sort of old way of living where families you know, lived very close to one another and grew up in the same city that, or, you know, stayed in the same city that they grew up in. Uh, and we were no different. My father had a, uh, had an art, had an um, art studio uh, when we were kids, commercial art, and was involved in, <clears throat> excuse me, was involved in, in, you know, commercial photography and commercial retouching and things before the age of computers. Um, and so he had a really wonderful practice. And, uh, and uh, my, my grandfather, um, uh, who was, like I said, right across the street, would, would every birthday and every holiday, you know, another book on architecture. And he gave me, you know, books on Walter Gropius and, um, you know, Lake Boussier and, you know, all these amazing sort of modernist architects um, that, you know, became sort of the fathers of modernism. And, uh, and, you know, the city itself was kind of in an urban renewal period where, you know, it was an old industrial city, but they were, you know, putting up expressways and, you know, there was a lot of buildings lost that were sort of classically inspired. And they were putting up these very cold, you know, sort of modernist buildings. Um, and, and I remember, you know, going to these, you know, museums and the art museum and places like that where, um, you know, the cultural centers were the first things that were getting built that way. Um, and just there was this awareness of architecture and this awareness of buildings. Um, and that kind of, you know, led into me falling in love with some of the old romantic historic neighborhoods where these old residences were still beautifully and intact and, and cared for, incredibly, you know, beautifully built um, by great craftspeople. And as time went on and I started to you know, think about the pursuit of architecture as a career, um, it became even more saturated in my mind. Um, and uh, I really started, you know, kind of falling in love uh, with the romantic, you know, well sort of crafted, beautifully sort of classically timeless buildings 
whereas the other buildings just seemed like you know, wow, that, you know, that building was built in the 50s or that building was built in the 60s. And um, and even though these other buildings had been built at the turn of the century, they just were so loved and so cared for. And they were just so enduring, um, um, you know, as 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 sort of, you know, good citizens in the city. Um, as I began to pursue my architecture, uh, you know, sort of education, uh, I found myself becoming more and more inspired by uh, buildings that were a little bit more timeless. And so I sort of geared my practice into that genre of architecture. And so so um, when did you launch your firm? <clears throat> um, so uh, I had two launches. My original launch was in 1996. Um, I was uh, working uh, for a firm and had designed a house for my brother. Um, and lo and behold, someone who bought the property next door <clears throat> called me and uh, wanted to commission me to design um, a house for them, a lodge. And uh, it was in northern Wisconsin on a lake. And so uh, I decided to uh, uh, decided to you know pursue this sort of career on my own um, in uh, in the attic of a cabin uh, uh, was my first uh, office, so to speak. And um, and it was just me as a one-man show. And little by little, I started getting referrals. Um, and they were in big commissions. You know, I had the house commission, but then I was, you know, I'd get, you know, would you be interested in helping with my front porch? Or I need a new garage? Or, you know, something that was very utilitarian, um, which I jumped on with a lot of enthusiasm because I love utility buildings um, and, and, uh, and outbuildings and, I love um, uh, beautifully sort of, you know, crafted spaces that, you know, are between space, between buildings. Um, and so, you know, I always found that, you know, even putting in a, a doing an, a, a building design for a garage, it gave us the opportunity to have a discussion with the homeowner about the space between the house and the garage or the connection to the house or you know, let's use the space above the garage or some other sort of opportunity that might come up. And that's where I saw my sort of practice begin to start thriving is people saw that fertility and creativity in me and started, you know, referring me to their friends um, and said, you know, hey, this, this, you know, talk to this guy, you know, yeah, it's, it's a garage, but I, I think, you know, you'd be surprised um, at what you'll, what, what he'll come up with. <laughs> And uh, and so um, you really begin to, you know, sort of put your heart and soul into just creating a good building. You know, what's a good building? And um, and 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 literally the, the um, opportunities began to become more complex, um, a more prestigious, um, you know, more trophy properties, um, you know, opportunities to not only do, you know, renovations and remodels or additions, but then maybe you know, new new residence commissions, new buildings. Um, and, and that's really kind of how my practice grew. Uh, it changed a little bit. A few years later, I joined forces with a builder <clears throat> and we kind of operated together a sort of design build um, uh, office. Uh, they had an existing design build office and I was sort of brought in to sort of uh, man up the, the, um, the architecture division of it. Uh, but that um, that ended up um, not really being the sort of uh, 
direction that I wanted to take, you know, the design practice. And so um, we split off an architecture practice in which I was a principal and had four partners, three partners. Um, and, uh, and then three years later, I, I purchased them out of the practice completely. So um, I ended up, you know, ending, ended up becoming a sole proprietor again, but in, in this particular time, uh, in, this, in this phase of the project, uh, of the firm's sort of experience, I had already um, acquired a number of employees. Uh, and so I kind of went almost straight into having a firm of, of 15 people uh, on my second go around uh, as a firm owner. Yeah, it, it sounds almost like you've had three launches that you that you launched when you in the from the from the cabin and then you launched yeah. this this company where you partnered as a design build firm and then you spun off or not spun off but you it evolved and you bought out that design firm and 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 you know created what you have today or started with what you had today yeah very much yeah i guess you're right i didn't think about that sort of middle step yeah so 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 you went from designing garages and you were talking about the first the first phase um, or mm-hmm. the first firm, you went from garages to, you know, more trophy projects, more high-end residential projects. How did you get from point A to point B? How did that progression, was it just simply an evolution of just keep keep sort of doing great work and it just kept coming to you? Or was there more intent and planning to that? Um, well, it's, it's, um, it's, I think part of it is, you know, having the portfolio piece, you know, having <clears throat> something actually built uh, that you can take people through, uh, because until you actually, you know, you can show, and I've had this, you know, I remember I, I was uh, talking to a gentleman about a, a commission for um, a really incredible opportunity. He bought a very fabled um, old uh, sort of compound that used to be the Mars family compound from Chicago, uh, in Northern Wisconsin. And it was a, it was, you know, quite the estate, you know, it had stables and residences and boathouses and, you know, it had, you know, 40 outbuildings and they would bring entire staffs up on train cars, you know, in the 1920s and throw lavish parties. And so they had this incredible spread and um, it, it had been dismantled over the years, but he was trying to acquire it back. The house had burned down, and so he was looking to build um, a new a new lodge. Um, and we got along great. He loved my drawings, but he said, "You just haven't built anything, yeah. you know, you know, on on par with what I'm looking for." And for that reason, you know, I'm out. It was, you know, kind of like uh, Shark Tank, you know. Yeah, and I'm I think out. I think that happens to so many of us that that yeah. we have this opportunity early on in our careers, and then our portfolio isn't there to back us up. We have the skill, we have the knowledge, uh, but they don't want to give us the chance. So how yeah. did, what? How did you respond to that? Um, I understood. Um, I, um, you know, it, it kind of underscored the emphasis of you know built uh, built work is going to be much more valuable than, you know, drawn work. Um, and although I can pretty renderings, uh, it's it, it's not like having something that's actually built. And um, and so uh, that's sort of part of the reason why I joined, you know, this builder uh, in Milwaukee uh, and, and joined them uh, in their firm because they um, they had an audience and they were building um, and they were getting, you know, commissions to, you know, renovate, you know, some beautiful historic homes 
um, in, in, on some pretty prestigious you know properties. And so the ability of being able to you know jump in and you know be the architect with somebody that already had a built-in audience was really kind of my spring. That gave me the ability to build that portfolio much quicker than I may have had if I had just stayed on my own. Yeah, and and do you still do design build today? Um, we don't. No, so I mean we, we, yeah, we we will help some people with management at times, um, especially those people that are looking to general projects themselves. And we do have the occasional client that does want to general themselves, and then we can essentially sort of jump in, realize, you know, the relationships that we've built in the construction community. And, you know, bring a little bit of credibility and, you know, sort of help guide the client a little bit. You know, they're trying to essentially create, you know, a lot of value, um, you know, by trying to save on commissions. And the project duration may take a little bit longer. But, you know, typically, you know, we've had enough experience that we can say, you know, these are some firms that are worth considering. Um, these are firms that I don't have a lot of experience with. You know, my suggestion is, is that you may stick with people that we may already know through the marketplace. And so we can help guide our clients a little bit, but that's far and few between. And today you're practicing all over the country. Um, and, and so you grew this firm locally in Milwaukee. Uh, what right. was the, the uh, idea behind growing beyond Milwaukee? How, what, was, what were the steps you took to do that? And was, was that intentional or, intentional or was that uh, responding to opportunities as well? Um, uh, it, it was, uh, it was both. Um, I, I think it, um, uh, you know, having had and, uh, having had the, um, uh, the, the, the sort of experience on working on lake homes and lodges in, you know, Northern wooded Wisconsin in the North woods of Wisconsin. Uh, and before that I had interned, um, at a small boutique practice in Aspen. And so um, I had worked for an architecture firm doing very, very sophisticated high-end residential, you know, mountain architecture, you know, in and around Colorado. Um, and so that vernacular was very, you know, interesting to me, you know, rugged and bold, a lot of natural materials, uh, you know, a little bit more of a sort of super scale because of the amount, the sort of building materials that, that people were sort of utilizing. Um, and Northern Wisconsin is a smaller variety of that sort of more of a Adirondack kind of derivative rather than a mountain vernacular derivative. Um, but then we were getting commissions on, you know, other lakes in Southern Wisconsin, which has completely different vernacular. Um, but the, the sort of key commission, um, the key opportunity came to us from, um, I had built a relationship with a landscape architect in Chicago named Scott Byron. Um, and uh, Scott and I had done a couple of projects together, um, and he had a close personal friend that was going to uh, build a residence, a lake residence on Geneva Lake, which is in Wisconsin, but it's kind of a Chicago destination uh, for a Chicago client. And uh, we built a beautiful home for that client. And that relationship then opened some doors to some of their friends that also were looking for design services on that lake that were also Chicago-based. Um, and then the Chicago, one of our Chicago-based clients that we you know, interviewed and ended up building a house for, 
um, you know, ended up buying uh, land outside of Los Angeles and uh, wanted to build a biodynamic farm. Um, and so uh, I, you know, helped them with with uh, with that commission, and that brought me out to the West Coast. And every time we ended up getting an opportunity where it was a Midwest client that was looking to build elsewhere, um, we found ourselves building really good relationships with, you know, the project teams. So, you know, the contractor and the consultants and, you know, the engineers and everybody that we were sort of utilizing who were in specialty groups really liked working with our team and really liked working with us. And so they would ask us, hey, would you be interested in another project I'm looking at right now? I don't think it's going well with their architect. You know, would you be interested? And lo and behold, we started getting some traction and decided to open up small offices in those locations so that we could service those clients locally um, and also have a place to be able to meet with the consultants. Um, so we started, um, uh, you know, essentially, you know, building these little satellite offices all of which were sort of served by our main studio, which is in Milwaukee, and that has the majority of people on our staff. Um, but that's really kind of how it works. It sort of works with having these sort of field and marketing offices in these you know, sort of other locations, and they're helping us sort of sustain more work in these locations. And you're at your East Coast as well. Where are you based on the East Coast? So the, the, the office that serves the East Coast is in Pittsburgh. Okay, great. Um, did you ever, this is a, this is a question that I, I get often for, especially with firms like yours that are doing beautiful homes, super high end, really large tro like trophy homes. Um, as your company grew, did you ever, uh, think about expanding beyond residential or was it intentional and, uh, planned to stay focused on residential work? Um, well, we, we've had commissions, um, you know, outside of the residential sort of realm. So, uh, and, and we've been doing them, you know, that it's been ongoing with our, our work. Um, and, and they're not, you know, they're not a mainstay of our work, but like we've done a number of restaurants and bars and some small hospitality, um, you know, boutique hospitality stuff. Um, we did our office buildings and we helped with um, some master planning efforts that some local developers were kind of looking for ideas on. We kind of just kind of helped a little bit on, on, you know, coming up with some some vision casting. Um, we uh, the first opportunity that we had that was, you know, a little bit more interesting um, was International um, Equestrian Center in Wellington, Florida. We had been working for um, some clients that had uh, equestrian interests and um, uh, in the there's a winter festival equestrian festival in Wellington outside of Palm Beach and um, uh, you know the the um, uh, overall I think you know the, the 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 architectural design that was going in was 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 not like super custom it wasn't it wasn't kind of on the caliber of like, you know, the Palm Beach traditional architecture that you see. Uh, it was, you know, I, I think for most people, you know, kind of thinking, well, hey, I'm only gonna be there for a few months of the year and, you know, it's fine. We just need a place to, you know, you know, do the horse stuff and, and you know, we don't need anything, you know, exceptional. But 
there was a developer there that was you know looking for some more master vision to create something that was a little bit more significant as a more permanent winter festival sort of grounds. Um, and so he was looking to essentially upgrade this into something that was really more of a sort of world sort of destination. People that were interested in the equestrian, you know, sort of sports from around the world, including, you know, polo and, um, you know, all of the sort of, you know, different sort of sports that are sort of, you know, under the equestrian sort of, uh, sort of um, category. And so um, we had done a series of sort of vision casting renderings um, of what this could be like. And I was so into it because I love, you know, sort of large scale, larger context um, you know, design opportunities. Um, and, you know, like, like, you know, makes like Burnham said, right. Make no small plan. Um, and I think it, it, you know, I've always been very inspired by that because I think that in that larger context, um, we start to really start, you know, asking ourselves a little bit, you know, bigger questions than, you know, how much linear hanging space do you need in your closet? You know, you really get into more, you know, substance, cultural, um, trying to, you know, essentially accommodate, um, you know, a much more sort of complex, um, you know, urban, you know, oriented, um, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, an urban, um, uh, a more urban oriented response to the master planning efforts. And, and that, although we do that when we do estate planning, and we work through the the text the the context issues, and you know, given the the size you know properties that we can work on, and the multiple buildings and the spaces between buildings, the sense of arrival, you know, the interaction with the landscape, the sort of ongoing process of dissolving boundaries, all of that kind of stuff. When you amp it up into you know sort of a master planning vision, that's where you really start to look for opportunities for the architecture and the context to really work together because now you're really looking at you know something that has much more landmark status you know it's a very different sort of set of criteria for an architect so is that what inspired you to expand into these other realms of hotels and communities and wineries sort of that your interest on of in that larger context and these opportunities that you had that they sort of came together and said, well, why don't we pursue that? Is that how that happened? It is. And, and I, for, I mean, that was, that was like, a, that's, that was personal with me, right? You know, yeah. just working on these things. A few years ago, we did Aaron Hills Golf Club in um, Southern Wisconsin, was the host of the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. Um, and it was a prop, a project that we got involved in. I had been working on a residence for the person who owned or bought that club, um, was very instrumental getting the U.S. Open there um, in 2017. And so um, we, we uh, you know, helped with the master plan vision of the entire grounds. Um, and it was very exciting to then all of a sudden get the commission for the cottages and for the clubhouse and for some of the other things, because we're now starting to talk about what are some of the iconic opportunities that can happen here with you know some of the site planning. And so working with a collaborative approach again with working with the landscape architect and being able to say, you know, what's the character of stone walls? What's the character of the light post? What's the character of the curb markings? You know, how do we, you know, essentially, you know, bring in um, you know, something that allows the fescue course to really shine 
but also at the end of, you know, three days of golfing, which you get these, you know, people are staying in these cottages and they'll do two or three days of golfing with their friends and colleagues and business partners. And, you know, you, you end up then providing these opportunities for them to be able to enjoy the sunset view, um, enjoy the landscape, you know, the sort of rolling sort of romantic Midwest landscape in the summertime, you know, with sitting around, you know, fires and, you know, watching the sunset and, you know, watching that orange sky, um, you know, sort of, you know, you're so far north, you know, you you see that, you know, doesn't really, the sun doesn't go down until, you know, 930, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, you can just picture the camaraderie. And that's what we got back as feedback. The bill just loved it and would go there every year. And that's where I think for us, we really started being able to, you know, take what we were giving our private residence clients an opportunity to sort of show it to the, to to a larger audience, which is very exciting, um, and and it, it's all you're 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 not dealing with now you know residential utility hookups. You know you're dealing with real you know sort of you know issues. You know how do you how do you camouflage the grease trap and how do you <laughs> you know bring in services into the buildings and and being able to service them from a commercial load perspective, but still give it that residential feel. Um, so that, you know, they're in that, they're, they're sort of enveloped by that sort of residential comfort. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. And while the COVID-19 pandemic is having an unprecedented impact on the economy, companies like our platform sponsors are still building tools and providing services to help support you to help support your business and your people through all the ups and downs of our time. Please take a few minutes to visit them each and let them know that we appreciate their support here at Entree Architect. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAP. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? That's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto, Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, you might fall in love yourself. And let's face it, we all need a little help with our payroll process and how to handle all those taxes these days. So Gusto is making it easy. Listeners to this podcast get three months free when they run their first payroll. Just try a demo right now and test it out at entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. Our friends at FreshBooks want you to know that you are not alone. FreshBooks has been supporting small businesses and solo entrepreneurs, and specifically they've been supporting us here at the Entree Architect community for a very long time. They know what it's like how lonely it may be working from home. They know what it's like when times get tough and they know that right now, as we all face this crisis together as a global community, we all need to do our part. So FreshBooks is responding and offering an unprecedented offer. Now, when you join FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software, you'll receive 60% off for six months. That's right, 60% off for six months. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. And don't forget, enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know that we sent you. 
That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get 60% off their regular price right now for six months. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. As you and your team are working from home, are the logistics of putting together a project daunting when no one else is in the same room? RCAT has a solution for you. RCAT's charrette allows you to manage projects and specification documents online with multiple team members. Discuss products, configurations, outline specs, project photos, documents, and so much more all on one page. Along with the ability to access product information, specifications, CAD, BIM, and the patented spec wizard from anywhere in the world. Charette can help your firm get more done, no matter where in the world you and the rest of your firm might be. You can even promote your firm's project when you're done. And like all of RCAT's solutions, it's completely free. Yes, free. So check it out right now at rcat.com slash projects. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com slash projects. rcat.com slash projects. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How large is the team and has it grown since you started to expand? It, it fluctuates. You know, we're, we're um, um, at, at one point uh, we were sort of in the mid 40s um, and, you know, we're probably now down into the mid 20s. Um, we've had a very interesting and unusual sort of uh, last couple years. Um, uh, and we've had some really fantastic commissions, and you know we obviously you know can keep our teams very busy. Um, but there are the one thing about commercial work, and we were working on a very large scale project, which is still um, you know very much alive. That's a, a big hotel, twenty acre sort of master plan community and, and it basically um, you know has a theater um, boutique theater in it um, you know seven you know sort of eating and drinking establishments a private club um, you know hotel uh, with all the amenities um, spa spa residences uh, garden homes commercial property long-term stay residences in Nashville and it's on a very prominent hilltop site so there's challenges. Um, it's a little bit more expensive to develop on a site like that because of the amount of site work and blasting and rock clearing and things. But there's also, um, uh, you know, there's uh, again, there's there's also this sort of, you know, this architecture is going to be sitting on a on a hill very prominently, and so, you know, clearly creating something with immediate landmark status is very important to us. Um, so that's a project that, you know, we ended up having, you know, set several teams on, uh, and then you get into the sort of financing, you know, sort of phases and the development phases. Um, and you know, that, that can slow a project down and then you've got these teams that you have to keep busy. And so essentially you, you end up, um, not necessarily taking on the commissions you want. You, you, you've grown a little bit too much. And so you're starting to take on commissions just to keep everything alive. Um, and, and I've stepped back from that and I've decided that, look, you know, we're going to right size us so that everybody can, you know, can live with some sort of balance in their life. 
um, uh, and not try to grow it to just grow it, you know, and let's just sort of see um, how things, you know, go. And if these commissions end up happening for us at that point, we'll decide if we want to partner with somebody or if we want to bring on additional staff to accommodate it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your story and sort of uh, look at it in terms of like opportunity stacking that you started in the in the cabin and you had an opportunity and you pursued that opportunity. And at every step of the way, you designed it at the at the highest level that you could design it, that you that you created this this piece of architecture, whether it's a, a garage or or, a, you know, or a, a home um, all the way up till now where you're designing full resort, uh, you know, master planning. It's one step at a time sort of continuing to look at and pursue those next opportunities all the way through, you know, the design build firm and then seeing that that there's an opportunity there to sort of take the next step and just kept building on it and building on it and building on it. I wanted to point that out for others who are sort of in the cabin today that they should be yeah. looking they should be looking for those next opportunities um, design those well whatever they may be um, and then continue to to look for that next opportunity was that ever sort of recognized and planned for or was that that the result of just the way that you've you always looked for that next opportunity it came to you you pursued it and and just sort of took the next step to the next level um, it's a very conscious effort. I mean, we, we do, I have a senior strategist that, um, I work with very closely that we have a wonderful relationship. She's actually in our Pittsburgh office and she's remarkably talented. Um, and she and her husband, who's also an architect, both work for uh, our firm at there and they're, um, they grew up near there and one to be in Pittsburgh, um, both had, uh, experiences in New York, but, she and I spend a lot of time looking at opportunities like this and how do we build on some of these. And, you know, it goes down even to your proposal process. You know, how competitive do you want to be? How much are you willing to invest from a marketing perspective to put your work in front of a whole new sort of layer of, of individuals? Um, and, and, you know, like with this hotel, uh, you know, it's just, let's just look at it as one sort of opportunity. But, you know, in this in this one sort of, uh, you know, project, um, you know, we've now been exposed to the top tier people of the top flag, you know, people in the, in the hospitality business, right? So you're, you're talking to, you know, the owners, the CEOs, you know, these are the people that, you know, have, um, you know, the incredible resources behind them to be able to manifest, you know, vision. And, um, and 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 their the relationships and the reactions that we're getting from those individuals has been really positive and really great. And um, and you know I'm praying that you know even though we're you know you know got this challenge right now in our you know economy having ground to a halt, especially hitting the travel and hospitality industry. Um, you know, like all pandemics, um, you know, hopefully we can control them and, 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 and they will end and, and, you know, things will resume hopefully with a little bit smarter integrity. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like that will in Nashville in particular is a booming city, um, with, with an incredible sort of tourist component to it. Um, and so not only is the business climate there vibrant and growing like crazy with, you know, 
um, Amazon and Facebook and you know, Oracle, and I mean, you name it, the insurance industry. Then you also have this incredible sort of, you know, sort of it's music city. And so you have people coming in from all over the world, um, you know, to Nashville. And so you have a very rich component uh, to, to this, this um, to the development sort of industry. Um, yeah, great basis there. Um, and, and I feel like when we get an opportunity like this, um, we were very, very strategic about it. We, we, you know, we work it through into, um, you know, we'll, we'll provide uh, design vision in many ways up front, um, just because we know that uh, this will give the developer fuel but our name attached to it then will also give us some credentials and some um, uh, exposure. Uh, and, and when you're in a new community, we've been in Nashville, you know, six years up to that point. I had been working on a commission there, you know, 10 years ago, um, which is how I sort of discovered it as a place. But you really want your firm profile to get known. Um, and what's really interesting is that, you know, the councilman who's there was like, anything that goes on that hill, that's got to be iconic. And when he saw the drawings and I invited him to my house for a presentation, he said, this is exactly what I want on that site. And so he came to me and he said, hey, I got a couple of other sites that really need some vision. You know, would you help me with that? And I'm, I've got a school project that's going on that is ailing and I've got some. And all of a sudden, you know, this goodwill sort of gesture that you've made towards this developer has now gotten you noticed in an arena that you may not have gotten noticed in. And so there are opportunities everywhere for people that have really great vision. Um, and I want to be one of those guys that they, you know, call. And I want our firm to be one of those firms that they, you know, consider, you know, uh, in the sort of more of the higher echelon of firms that could re respond with a design that would be worthy of something that would be noticeable, you know, and iconic. So that's, you know, that, and, and that will, you know, that will also help our residential sort of commissions as well. Um, uh, because we do bring that amount of aesthetic comfort to our, our larger scale projects as well. They're, they work hand in hand. Yeah, a super, super inspiring story to hear uh, sort Thanks. of going from the cabin to where you are today um, and understanding how you're doing it, how sort of you're, you're doing the best work you can. But not only are you doing the best work you can, you're making sure that you're presenting that best work to the people who need to see it to get to that next level. And you're doing it all the way through till now. You just described how you're doing it in Nashville. Um, and so lots of lessons there. So I appreciate you for sharing that, that information and that, that knowledge with our listeners here today. Well, you know what, uh, honestly, we're, you know, we're all, we all, we all take some bruises along the way, right? Uh, we've made some, for all the decisions that have worked out and gotten us, you know, a, a, a step up, um, you know, there's been plenty of mistakes that were made along the way. But um, I think, you know, you learn from them and you accept the things that you, you, you made an, you, you, you know, made it of error or, um, you know, you own something that you, you know, was your fault. Um, and, you know, I, 
I've had the unfortunate sort of um, experience of also working with people, and that you know that's coming as a reaction of working with with some people that you know are the first ones to somebody under the bus, or the first ones to not you know be collaborative or to uh, think for themselves over the team. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're all working for a client, and and we're the client's advocate, and we're just one of the client's advocates. So if everybody there is working collaboratively and unified towards making that client happy, not dragging the client into disputes or resolutions or asking them to judge or to have to pick a side on right or wrong is, it just does the whole team a disservice and it does the project a disservice. And so, you know, if you think, you know, better of the whole, um, and work through any errors or s step up and say, you know what, that happened because we made a mistake and yeah. I will own it and I take care of it. Um, and I will tell you that that kind of, of honesty um, is, is gotten me more long-term relationships than trying to cover up something that we made a mistake with. It just doesn't, you know, we're, we're humans, we're, we're a team of people, you know, we've got, when we've worked together on, in our project in our office, there's different people that have different experience levels um, working on projects from, you know, um, you know, sort of uh, fresh out of school, you know, maybe their first job, um, you know, all the way up to a principal that's got, you know, almost 30 years experience. But, you know, you have to rely on everybody. I'm responsible. I hold the card to all of it. And so if anybody in that chain you know, makes a mistake, I have to own it. Um, and, and it may affect other people on the team. And you have to apologize and make, make you know, make it good, you know, and, and um, you know, helping other people that are getting into this field. Um, you know, we sit in our desks in studio in architecture school. And, you know, there are those that, you know, are really devoted and, you know, the ones that get, you know, celebrated at all pinups and all that stuff, right? But at the end of the day, um, no one teaches you. Um, they may teach you design and they may teach you instruments of, of, of service, but no one really sits down and says, in the business world, this is your role. Um, and so you gotta feel your way through it and, and um, and once you do, I really want to make that as easy for the younger pe people that are going into practice, because that's a huge part of what you're going to do as an architect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, and that's that was the inspiration with Entree Architect um, was to was to provide a place to build a platform where architects could learn those those lessons and those rules and the and the game of business, what you need to do to succeed, because if we all work at building stronger businesses, we each individually succeed, but then the whole profession thrives because we're, we're all successful. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I applaud you for sharing and for doing that on your side. Uh, I encourage others to do that as well. Um, I also want to just point out the, the lesson that you just, you described about taking the responsibility when you've make it, made a mistake, when that mistake, own that mistake and go directly to your client um, and, you know, accept the responsibility for that mistake. The result of that uh, increases your relationship, improves your relationship with that client, 
Um, it, it, it's an instant trust builder between you and your client. From that point forward, when they see that you've accepted that responsibility and you fixed it, you owned it and you fixed it, um, from now on, you can pretty much do whatever you need to do because you have full trust in that client, especially at the levels that, you've, that you're working because there's so many uh, people at the level of the type of work that you're doing with the level of clients that you're working with who are intimidated by that and who are afraid of making that, that uh, having that responsibility, um, that they avoid it. And when they get caught avoiding it or get caught lying about it, um, it's the complete opposite. You completely lose control and you completely lose that, that, that sense of trust and nothing more important in, 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 uh, in the work that we do is to have the trust. Our best work comes from our clients trusting us to do our best work. Uh, so anytime you have an opportunity to, uh, to, to, um, to build that trust, uh, that's a gift that when you make a mistake that you can, you can take on that responsibility because it does give you that opportunity to build that trust. You know, it's, um, that, that kind of humility, you know, is something that, um, uh, I, I I hate to say it, but you know it's something that you know culturally we've kind of moved away from a little bit. Um, you know, in a litigious society, we've gotten to the point where it's like just defend yourself, yeah. or even when it comes to politics, lie, say it's not what it is, and you know, and if you lie enough about it, you know, all of a sudden you do, you can create a, a parallel untruth <laughs> that you know is right. supposed to be, you know, uh, it's just a different narrative, but. I just have found that um, that you know not only building trust with the client, which is obviously who we work for, is important, but if it's witnessed by your teammates, yes. the contractors, the other people too, they are going to embrace you and your firm. And I will tell you, you will get some of your best commissions just from being able to know the people that are the tradespeople on those projects. I mean, I can tell you, I got an amazing commission a couple of years ago um, for a fantastic client that was looking to build a garage for a sort of larger car collection. Um, and, um, you know, the property manager said, well, let's go, you know, go to a garage builder and, you know, they didn't get anything inspired. and. I got a phone call from a carpenter who worked for this guy and said, hey, are you familiar with this client in Milwaukee? And I said, well, of course. He said, well, they're looking for, they need a garage. He, he bought another car and they're looking to build a garage. They don't have enough space. And, you know, I know this is probably beneath your pay scale, but I, I think, you know, it'd be worth maybe exploring this. I called, I called my team immediately and I said, set up a meeting with the property manager. We went there. We got the most amazing garage built you can imagine. It hasn't been published, but I mean, the client, you know, went and built the most fabulous, you know, space. And we, you know, we, we had, I mean, it was very inspired and it was a complex program and it was a fantastic project. And it came from a carpenter yeah. who was working for this property manager who suggested our name. Um, and so, you know, because we had, I had built a relationship with him over the years um, you know, is, is a fantastic finished carpenter and, and, you know, got a chance to, you know, um, you know, get to know him and got to know his wife. And, you know, I mean, after a while, you know, you, you know, these are people that we all kind of are citizens 
we share citizenry with, right? We're all yeah. citizens of the same place. And, you know, the, you know, integrity and all those things um, that are very honorable, some humility, et cetera, et cetera, they get witnessed by people. And people think, oh, you know, I'll, I'm going to keep weight in the back of my mind. And, 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 and look at what happens, you know, how do you thank you for that? That's incredible. Yeah. And your, and your, your, your employees are watching you too. And so it, when you have that opportunity to demonstrate doing the right thing, um, that, that trickles down to the rest of your team. And if they witness you doing the opposite, that too will trickle down to the rest of your team. And so you need to make, yes. it, you need, go ahead. No, I was going to say it absolutely. You're hundred percent right. It yeah. does, you know, yeah. um, it, it really does. Um, and, 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 you know, so I, you know, I think anybody that is a, you know, young and looking to, you know, get that next opportunity and looking to take it no matter what, and I don't care what it is, never look at any opportunity that it's beneath you because it doesn't matter if you bring integrity and beauty and vision to even the most mundane, you know, sort of uh, commission or design opportunity, it will get noticed. You'll get noticed and the relationships will take you very far. Yeah, it's a great, great lessons. I really enjoyed this conversation, Wade. Um, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you the question that I ask everybody. Uh, okay. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, I think just recognizing the community that you're in and that you have a unique skill set. You're a problem solver, and the community you live in has got lots of problems that need resolving. And so step up as a citizen, and as difficult as it might be, just try to serve the people that are around you and let them know what your skill set is. And it doesn't matter if it's the most beautiful design building or if it's just an idea on how to make the streetscape a little prettier in your community. That's where you're going to build your practice because once people see you as a citizen and somebody who cares, they are going to call upon you for some of the rewarding commissions. Yeah, that's great advice. And especially now in the time that we're living in, um, we need some answers, right? We need some solutions to some big problems uh, because, because you know, the, the pandemic is creating a ripple effect of multiple problems throughout the world um, and architects are problem solvers. So it may not be a, an, a piece of architecture. It might just be a problem that needs to be solved and you have a unique talent to resolve those problems. Um, and so that's great advice, Wade. I, I thank you for reminding us about that. Uh, his name is Wade Weissman. You can learn more about Wade and his architecture. You should go check his website out. You should look at the architecture they're designing. It is phenomenal. Uh, WadeWeissmanArchitecture.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, and check out his, his new book, Heirloom Houses. Um, if you're searching for it, we'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Uh, the author is Stephen Stallman. It shows, um, I think it's how many houses? Fif 15 homes? F 15 homes. Um, heirloom houses. Beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, Wade, this has been a really, <laughs> oh, excuse me, interesting and inspiring 
uh, conversation. I made it through the entire episode until the very end. Uh, Wade, thank you. Thank you for joining us here at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, I, I thank you for, uh, for taking interest in me and my firm and uh, our work. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 323, the link to the show notes and the link to share with a friend. Please share this link with one friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 323. Do that, entrearchitect.com slash episode 323. Share that link with a friend. I would appreciate it. And focus on what you can control. Focus on your family, focus on your friends, focus on your business and shut everything else off. To help you through the next few months, we've made our programs even more accessible so you can focus on your business. The membership at Entree Architect, Entree Architect Academy, is now free for 30 days, still free for 30 days. We're, we're holding that on for a while. So if you'd like to join and check it out for 30 days, you are welcome to give it a try. You can go to entrearchitect.com slash join, and you can see everything that we're doing inside the membership. You can download the resources, watch the expert training session archive, uh, join us for the monthly uh, expert live expert training session. It's all there, entrearchitect.com slash join. And our mastermind is also open if you'd like to join one of our mastermind groups. That's separate from our academy membership. If uh, mastermind members, mastermind groups are small groups dedicated uh, to working together with full support from Entree Architect. And they are continuing to build their businesses, architects inside the mastermind. Groups of about eight to 10 people per group uh, will put you right into a great group and you can have support, have essentially an advisory board for your architecture firm. They compare notes, c collaborate on strategies, share resources. If you want to join an, uh, one of the masterminds at Entree Architect Mastermind, you can go to entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. Be well, my friend. Be healthy, be happy, safe, secure. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. Oh, and one more thing. on you know ipad yeah absolutely because that was <laughs> that was one of my jobs to steer this team arcaspeak now broadcasting from gable media that's right you heard it here first our friends at arcaspeak podcast have a new home our home right here at gable media visit gablemedia.com for more details coming soon. That's gablmedia.com. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>